godliness is making every effort to be more like Jesus. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. I ask that this will be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read from two passages. First, from Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. But there's another passage I want to read tonight. And that's from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Now, I am aware that when I choose a subject, how to be godly, uh, it may be seen that I am going to tell you how I have done it. I can assure you nothing could be further from the truth. You see, we saw last time how not to be godly. And it became obvious that it's easier to be a Pharisee than it is uh, to be truly godly. And so tonight, we look at these. So, there are two things that I want us to see. First, it's what God has done. And secondly, what we must do. Now, what is it that God has done? Well, Paul mentions two things. He says that we have been raised with Christ. God did that. And then he says what may seem contradictory. He says, we have died. So these are two things God did. 
We could never have done anything like that, but it is a miracle of the Holy Spirit, sovereign grace, because regeneration, which makes all this possible, is an unconscious act. It's what God does. We find out later that's what it is. And Paul is saying, know that this is to be true because this is the way toward godliness. So what God has done, but second, what we must do. And this is what he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. I love that phrase, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You may be aware that to claim in the earliest church that Jesus was at the right hand of God brought great offense. Here's why. The disciples said that this Jesus has been raised from the dead. And everybody said, okay, where is he? Well, they said, he's at the right hand of God. And if they had the expression that they use in England sometimes, pull the other one, they would have used that then. Because no, really, nobody really believed that. But it was something that the early church believed. Because this is what the angel said. This is what the Holy Spirit witnessed to. And it is very central to the Christian faith. And so, how to be godly? Well, I can tell you, it is to seek those things which are above where Christ is. And we're told that he is seated at the right hand of God. And so, we saw last week how not to be godly. And now, how to be godly. And uh, it means by seeking the things that are above. So, what we do when we look up, what do we see? First of all, Jesus. Now, he is at the right hand of God. What is he doing? Well, a number of things. First of all, he is interceding for us. At the right hand of God, Jesus is, as one reformer put it, he beckons the attention of the Father to himself to keep his gaze away from our sins. And that is what Jesus is doing. And he ever lives to make intercession. He's also filtering out our prayers. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus guards the throne of grace in this sense, that only what is passed on to the Father is what the Father hears. Because if the Father hears our prayer to be heard, means it will be answered. There's that Hebraic expression, uh, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, because that's the way Hebrews reason. It comes from the Hebrew word shamar that means to hear, but it also means to obey. It's like you've probably said to your child, did you hear me? Well, that's the meaning of shamar. And if the father hears us, he will obey our request. And that's the most wonderful thing. But Jesus is there guarding it to make sure that only what is passed on to the Father is what will be heard. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. You may say, oh, well, I wanted this and he's not giving it to me. Well, I have to tell you, no good thing will he withhold 
from them that walk uprightly. And what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God is protecting you from yourself. You may want something, but he knows what is best for you. And the best thing you can do is honor this and be thankful that there's one who wants you to have what is good and what is right. So what is Jesus doing? Well, he is at the right hand of God interceding. But there's more. He's there reigning. He reigns. You know, but that's not all. He rules. It's often said of Her Majesty the Queen, she doesn't rule, she reigns. But Jesus rules. And as Robert Murray McShane put it, he wears two crowns. He's head of the church. He's head of the nations. And so at the right hand of the Father, King Jesus reigns. As head of the church, that means he overlooks all those that are in the church. And we call it saving grace. We call it special grace. But then as being the head of nations, we call it common grace. And so God has ordained that he is ruling everything. And all that happens goes through what Jesus himself permits. Never forget this. It may not look like that. As Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, it doesn't seem that way. But it is that way. And one day God will clear his name. And so what is he doing? He's interceding. He's reigning. But it's also there in anticipation. Because he's waiting for the day that he will make all his enemies his footstool. And then he will come, as it is put in verse 4, Christ who is your life appears. When that happens, he, you will appear with him in glory. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And so that day is coming. And we have that to look forward to. So what does he mean then? Seek the things which are above. Well, we look to heaven, we see Jesus, but that's not all. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 that we just read, the righteous are in heaven, and you have this phrase, and it's nowhere else in the New Testament, where the writer of Hebrews says, the spirits of the just made perfect. Let me tell you what that means. That those that die in Christ, who are taken to glory, are given glorified spirits, not glorified bodies. That will happen at the end when our bodies are transformed. But their spirits are there. And they are without sin. They are not being tempted. They're not having to go undergo any tests. As a matter of fact, all that it is said about the way it will be in the New Jerusalem when God shall wipe away all tears and there'll be no more crying, no pain. That is what the saints in glory have now. I wonder how many here have loved ones in glory. Can I see your hands? Yeah, sure. I've got friends there. I've got a mother there. I've got a father there. I've got relatives there. And you may wonder, well, what's going on there? 
Well, they are in no pain, and they're having fellowship uh, with the old saints, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so it would be a wonderful thing if we don't get to be around when Jesus comes the second time to know what it's like when we pass over. And so why set your affections on things above to let you know what is coming for you? And if you get your eyes on things like that, not on things of the earth, you know what is in store for you. Well, this is promised. So what is Jesus doing? He's interceding. He's there with the saints in glory. And also, Hebrews talks about the angels. Now, I'm always reluctant to talk about angels because we might give too much attention to them. But remember this about angels. They are the perfect worshipers of God. They cannot be bribed. You know, there was that time when John, I've always been amazed at this, John actually said, I fell down to worship the angel that gave the book of Revelation. I think to myself, how could John have done such a stupid thing? But if he could do it, it shows how people might, if you're aware of an angel around you, you might be tempted to talk to the angels or converse. They won't have it. They don't want anything like that. Understand, angels are perfect worshipers of God. And the writer of Hebrews lets us know they're there. And it was when Isaiah had a vision of the glory of God and he saw the seraphim and they cried one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah said, woe is me. And this is possibly the first indication of being godly. And that is, you see your sin. Something that you could never see except by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Isaiah had been in the ministry, but now he's been given a glimpse of the glory of God. And he sees his own sinfulness. Uh, you may be aware that some years ago, there was purported to be great revival in Florida. And uh, uh, soon after we retired, uh, we got letters, emails from England in particular. They said, do you know the last day ministries are going on in Lakeland, Florida? And I thought, wow, this is wonderful. This is what I live for. I'm waiting for it. And so we turned on the TV and we watched it night after night after night. And I began to think, there's something wrong. Something very wrong. And I began to notice that they were saying, this is last day ministries, and the revival was penetrating parts in the world that have never heard the gospel. And they're saying, isn't this wonderful that Christianity is now penetrating Iraq and other nations and places in China? And I thought, wow, this is something. But then I began to ask, am I to believe that the last day ministries that would penetrate places in the world where the gospel has not been reaching, at least through TV, that God would raise up someone who wouldn't preach the gospel. Because there was one thing missing. Night after night after night, never once was the gospel preached. It was all about word of knowledge and healing and praying for people and they fall down and people are clapping their hands. Isn't this wonderful? 
And I thought, but surely, no gospel. And then there was another thing that was so noticeable. No conviction of sin. No evidence that people should be aware of their sinfulness. And this is the thing. When we see the glory of God, we will see ourselves as we are. And uh, this is what you have when you look above. Said Paul, if then you have been raised with Christ, that's what God did. Then he tells us what we do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. All right. If you seek the things that are above, what is it that you will seek? I can tell you. First, you will seek God's will. Let me tell you something. God already has a will. A will of his own. He's already decided what he wants. And this is important at the present time when there are those who are actually teaching. And you would be surprised to know who. It's, it's awful. It's spreading everywhere. That, uh, as one put it, very famous preacher, he said, it's our duty to change God's will. I say, no. It is our duty to find out what God's will is and do it. But we're living in a time where people want to run things. And it's a theology called open theism. It's deadly. The idea is that God does not know the future, but he looks to us to know what to do next. Can you imagine that? How do you like praying to a God and you're saying, Lord, show me what to do. And he shouts back, I want you to tell me what to do. Would you want a God like that? But that's what we have today. You need to know, if you are seeking him, you're wanting to know his will. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, God's will is being carried out perfectly. There's no rebellion in heaven. That is what we pray for on earth. That God's will will be carried out. There'll be no rebellion. No talking back. No disobedience. Well, you seek God's will. But then, God's will can be understood two ways. His revealed will and His secret will. Now, the trouble is that many are interested in His secret will. What's that? Well, God knows the future perfectly, but it's secret. He doesn't tell us. He knows where you will be tomorrow. He knows where you will be a year from now. He is aware of everything pertaining to you and where you will be 18 months from now. In detail, he knows whether you should have this job or another, where you should meet this person. And you say, well, I'm interested. I'd like to know more about that. This is secret God will tell you when you need to know. It's the revealed will that we should be concerned with. And you say, well, what is that? It's the Bible. A good way to know, in fact, the best way to know what God's will is, is just get to know the Bible so well. You know, a friend of mine who uh, had an unusual prophetic gift, 
Um, and it, it, it really, he really did have a wonderful gift. And people would go up to him. He, he couldn't walk across the whole hotel lobby. People going up to him and say, got a word for me. And prophetic people, they, they have to live with that. Uh, I'm sometimes very thankful I don't have a prophetic gift uh, or they'd be bothering me. All, all they want, you have a word for me. In other words, it's the secret will. Well, this friend of mine said he got so tired of people coming up to him and he was in a church in Phoenix, Arizona, where a lady came up to him and said, have you got a word for me? And he said, yes, here, and gave her his Bible. And she said, oh, this is wonderful. And she took it seriously because it was from him. She took it as a word from God. They said when he went back a year ago, a year later, she knew her Bible better than any of the preachers there because she began to read it. Well, that's the way to know God's will. And so if you care about him, you will care about knowing his will, his word. All right. Seek his will. That's seeking the things that are above. Seek to know God's ways. You see, God has ways. We all have ways. God lamented of ancient Israel, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10, they have not known my ways. God wants us to know his ways, and he said, my own people, they don't know my ways. How well do you know God's ways? You see, the way you get to know God's ways is to spend more time with him. How do you get to know anybody's ways? Uh, Louise knows my ways. She knows how I'm going to react to a certain thing. I've got friends, uh, Grant, who's here tonight. He knows something of my ways. We spent a lot of time together. He knows me. Uh, and the way you get to know God's ways is to spend time with him. Question. Seeking that which is above, how much do you pray? Children spell love, T-I-M-E. Suppose God spells love, T-I-M-E. And how much time do you have for him? And so, seeking the things that are above, you want to know his will, his ways, his word. And Psalm 138, verse 2, as put in the Hebrew, you have magnified your word above all your name. Now we know how much God extols his name, his lofty holiness, his manners, but his name, that's his reputation, that demonstrates its power, his power. Yet his word is magnified above his name. That's the way God considers his word. And if you want to get on God's good side, if I may put it that way, get to know his word. You know what? This book, the Bible, is the Holy Spirit's greatest product. This is what he wrote. He is, if I may put it this way, proud of what he said. It reveals his heart. 
It's final. It's the ultimate revelation. And for those who are wanting to, to bypass these words, I just want to hear from God. Listen, God has given us his word to keep us from making stupid mistakes or to correct abuses. You may want a word you want to hear from God, but if you really love him and you honor him, this is what Paul means. Seek those things which are above. How well do you know his word? Do you have a Bible reading plan? Do you spend time getting to know his word? That shows how much you honor him and extol him. So, get to know his will, his ways, his word. But what does he mean by seek? Here's the way Paul puts it. Seek the things that are at the right hand of God. What does he mean by seek? Well, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek. That means you don't give up. You keep looking. You don't just wait. I say, I tried it once and, and that, that was enough. I don't want to do it anymore. When you really want to know him, as it is put in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, you will find me if you will seek me with all your heart. And if you're wanting to get to know God and know his ways, I promise you, if you seek to know him with all your heart, you will not be disappointed. And he will show up. He will reveal himself. It will be clear. It will be obvious. And he's never too late. He's never too early. But always just on time. And so seeking, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? That means you people, you Pharisees, you make no effort to find out what is God's pleasure. So if you're wanting to please him and you're seeking the things that are above, Remember this about Jesus. He said, I do that which pleases him. And therefore you want to do what pleases God. Jesus was the one who lived only for his father's will. Um, and a book that I have just written comes out any day. I think it's out now. For an audience of one. Get to, get, get to the place. Here's the thing. When Paul says... Seek what is above, not on the things of the earth. You may ask, well, what's on the earth? What is it you find on the earth? Well, first of all, the approval of man. You look on the things of the earth, and you're going to want to know, what do they think? What do they think of me? What will they think if I do this? And you're living to make sure no one will criticize you. How many decisions do you make are based upon what so-and-so will think, your friend, that authority figure, you're not thinking what would God want, you're wanting to know what would please your friend. You see, that's what Paul means. Seek that which is above, not on things of the earth. And so, when you look for things of the earth, it will be wanting the approval of man, 
and the lusts of the flesh because you become preoccupied with what gratifies you and you live not only for the approval of men for, but for sensual pleasure. Well, Paul said, Christ is your life, which is an unusual statement. Whatever did he mean? Christ is your life. Well, I can tell you that everything that happened to Jesus happens to every Christian. He died for you. You die. He was buried. You are buried with him in baptism. He was raised. You are raised. And now for that reason, says Paul, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Even those who are following the way as some Colossians were doing. You see, these Colossians, they've been genuinely converted, and Paul affirms them. But they'd also been tempted by a strange heresy. It was partly Judaism, partly Gnosticism, and they were getting their eyes off Jesus, and Paul warns them, and yet, we might ask, are they going to be in that when Christ appears? It says, you will appear with him. Even those people who have not always pleased him, are they in it? Would you say, well, if you're not pleasing the Lord when he comes, you're going to miss out? No. Says Paul, your life is hidden with Christ. That means you are in a safety box and you are not going to miss out because you are included. You are part of the uh, whole plan of God. You are in Christ and you don't need to worry. You will be there. And it will be a time when you will appear with him in glory. Well, here's the thing. Can you say, you are seeking the things which are above? Or are you spending your time trying to please people and giving in to the lusts of the flesh? Well, this is Paul's word. This is how to be truly godly. When you're living for the honor and glory of God. And it's called putting on the new self. You have died. You say, well, I feel like I'm very much alive. But it's what God has done. The old man has died. And you have been raised and therefore show this. And it means showing gratitude. You see, the doctrine of sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. A lot of people, I'm afraid, have a pharisaical idea that sanctification is what gets them to heaven. But that's wrong. Sanctification is your way of saying, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And it's living a life of gratitude. Well, says 1 John 5, 18, and with this I close. 1 John 5, 18, John put it like this, that... We know everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 1 John 5, 18. You are in a safety box. You are secure. 
when Jesus comes, you will be in on it, and that day will come when every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he could do. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If what comes to your mind now is anything other than saying, my trust is in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. If that doesn't come to your mind, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But would you be willing to pray this prayer? You don't need to pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart. God will see you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I have sinned against you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.